been talking about what does true greatness in the kingdom of God um, look like. And we've looked at the first two stops um, in the gospel of Matthew. We meet Jesus surrounded by his disciples who are all wondering, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And he calls a child and he says, unless you change and become like a child, you'll never enter and experience the fullness of life in my kingdom. And so it's, it's this, the greatness is cultivating childlike dependency on the father. Now in our culture, to be needy or to be dependent on someone else other than our own grit, determination, talent, pay grade, and social standing is viewed as weakness. But in the kingdom, it's the proud he resists. It's those who know they are weak and spiritually bankrupt without him who know where to find bread and resources that are called great. Amen. So one of the things why we want to be in community groups is we want a space and a place. Maybe it's not here where it's a, you know, chairs and a pew and a stage and lights, but you're able to bring people into your journey where there's weakness, where there's neediness. You can confess that in a safe space and you can begin to uh, experience the fullness of God as the body of Christ rallies around you and contends for your fullness. How many want to be a part of that community where we don't have to hide behind fig leaves? We can admit the ways we need God's grace. And then in that admission and confession, we'll find an overabundance of grace that was always available to us if we would just ask. Did you know that? There's grace for us, for those who would be humble and honest and ask. So Jesus said, the greatest is like a child. And then in Matthew 20, when the disciples are, are you know, jockeying for position in the messianic kingdom, they're rolling up to Jerusalem and, and James and John's his mom says, you know, can my boys sit at your right and left? And Jesus is like, you don't know how power and greatness and authority work. And so he, then he tells them, the greatest among you, I've already said, is like a child. Now the greatest among you is like the one who becomes a servant. And in the original language, it's actually those who would become love slaves for God and for others. So uncomfortable in our culture, that language. But Jesus is saying, I want my grace and gospel to so transform you and to free you from yourself that you would actually view it as your highest privilege to serve me and to serve others in my strength and power. And so he just gives us a snapshot in Matthew 20 that even the Son of Man, verse 28, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. Well, there's two more greats in Matthew's gospel. Four times it's mentioned. What are the two greats before I show you? What, what have we left off? They're kind of a little bit important. The great commandment. <clears throat> All you knew that. I knew you knew that. <clears throat> it's sort of important. What is the great commandment? Let's read it together. Uh, I'll, I'll read 36 and we'll read 37 through the rest together. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? All together. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So why willfully choose the lowly, humble position of a childlike dependent upon the Father? Why give your life away in sacrificial service to God and others? Because of love. Everyone say, because of love. <laughs> this is what love looks like. The whole reason we even know what love looks like, which I know is a mixed word in our culture. We don't, we're a little bit confused of what it looks like. For the believer, we know exactly what love looks like. Amen? 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, comma, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How many are thankful when the scriptures just come right out and say it? This is the love that you're called to pursue, you're called to receive, and you're called to reciprocate and give to others. How do I know what it looks like? Look at Jesus. It's this wholehearted, for Jesus, love looked like obedience to the Father all the way to the cross. This kind of love is the kind of love that Jesus tells us in John 13, 34, and 5. If we'll love each other, not in any old way we feel like, but in a cross-shaped, crucified, sacrificial way, which is the way of love in, according to Jesus. When we begin to love each other like that, the world will be like, those are disciples of Jesus. Those are disciples of Jesus. What's the other great that we left off? <clears throat> Commission, I heard some whispers. Don't be shy. There's no wrong answers. There are wrong answers, I'm kidding. Be shy. So the great commandment, to summarize, what was it? To love God with everything and love people as ourselves, right? The great commission, let's read this together. Then Jesus came to them and said, let's read. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, these two passages deserve 12 weeks of conversation. I literally am proud of the slide count today. It's not that long. My whole goal is to show you why these two belong together. We could separate them and lift the hood and go, what does it mean to love God with all of my heart? I've probably done a sermon, no doubt I've done a series on that in the last eight years. We're not gonna do that. We're not gonna go heart, soul, mind, strength. First of all, because we're integrated beings. It's like, if I'm gonna love them, it's gonna impact everything, amen? Like, okay. So my goal today, to, to give you a sort of a thesis of where we're headed, is to show you why the, why the great commandment needs the great commission and why the great commission needs the great commandment. Why they need each other and why they're tied together. Why do these belong together? Because the call to love God, self, and others and the need to be discipled through teaching, training, and transformation is because what we love and the things we give our affection to need to be formed in the image of Jesus. Can I get an amen? We often love other things more than we love God. Am I talking to anyone? What we reach, strive for, and desire when it's not found in Jesus will often destroy and harm ourselves and those around us. Who has ever been the uh, culprit of misaimed love and it hurt you and it hurt those around you. Every hand raised and every eye had close. No one's being honest today. But so why is the great commandment to love God with everything and the great commission to be disciples who disciple others? Why do, we, why do they need each other? Because no one is born knowing how to love the right thing all the time. Amen? Like, so we, 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 we grow, we love God, but we... Our love and, and the things we give our affection and our attention and our ultimate allegiance, those things need the ongoing tutelage of the Holy Spirit to come into agreement and alignment with the true source of love, which is the king and his kingdom, amen. So the great, so here, I said it like this in a rapid fire way. We, we often need correction and recalibration. If it applies to you, just say amen so I don't have to preach each line. We need encouragement. We need accountability. 
And we need a community that contends for wholehearted love being manifest in each of its members. So great commandment, we all hear that. Dependent child, we have a father who has all that we need. Sacrificial service, Matthew 20, we wanna give our lives away in service. Why? Because of love. But the problem is, often my love wanes, it flickers, it feels like it's all but gone. So I need people to disciple me to say, hey, love the right thing. Amen? Like, look at the right thing. You're, you're, you're relying, I, the, the passage I always quote in my prayer times, there's a passage in Isaiah, I think it's 39, don't go there. Ugh. I'll find it and email it later in the church email next week. But it's this picture of Israel, instead of going further in, in fidelity you know, and obedience to Yahweh, they, they, they lean back. And in, in Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen, the first martyr, describes it as, in their hearts they turn back to Egypt. Why does the great commandment need the great commission? Discipling our loves because our loves need ongoing discipling. Does everyone know what I mean by discipling? Okay, let me, I wanna make it very clear. What it literally means is it needs to be conformed and transformed towards their God-intended destiny and, and design. You were made by God for God, but we don't always live out of that story in our everyday life. We live for, for me, for, for stuff, for bigger, for brighter, for better. And before we know it, those things can hijack the entirety of our affection and attention and allegiance. And we're not now on a journey of becoming more like Jesus. We're actually being deformed through the effects of sin in a divided heart. This is why the cry of the psalmist is, give me an undivided heart. I want my loves, my longings, the place and the seed of my desire to be so aimed and oriented around the true source that promises life and always delivers on his promises. Are we tracking? That's what I mean by our loves need to be discipled. In other words, they need to be trained and taught to aim at the right thing. Who has kids? Does this is making sense? Like, like <laughs> This is our whole parenting journey to learn how to c coach and correct and aim at the right thing and, and, and the right purpose. Discipleship, being confronted with the truth, discovering there's a doorway called repentance and through that doorway is transformation in life. That's the whole journey. We're confronted with the truth and love. That confrontation always comes with an invitation called repentance and faith that I could enter through that doorway and continue to experience transformation of my heart, my mind, and my life. You see that again? It's the concentration of truth and love. He can't, God can't ever separate him. We separate him all the time, but he, he, he can't. He is full of grace and truth, amen. The whole journey of you and I being formed from the inside out, we're confronted with truth, doorway of opportunity called repentance, changing our minds, walking in a new way. And in that, we'll, we'll never stop being conformed and transformed into the image of God. So the, the whole journey of becoming a student who is formed after, in the way of our master Jesus, the Bible says in, in Matthew 23, verses one through 11, that the church has one teacher, capital T, his name is Jesus. And the goal of all of our training and teaching and formation is to, Luke 640, to become just like our teacher, Jesus. So if you're ever wondering, like, what's the goal of my life if I'm a disciple and follower? It's to be like Jesus. How many have a long way to go? That's why we're here. 
And that's why we need each other. And we never stop, listen, we never stop needing to be discipled and we never stop needing to disciple around us where we see that what they're loving is killing them. So they need their loves discipled. They need their hearts, their minds, and their life discipled. Okay, we're tracking. I see head nods. Why do we need our loves discipled? Because if you love me, you'll obey me. And if I'm not obeying, it's because I'm obviously loving something else more than God. That's the easiest way to put it. So if I'm not walking in, not perfection, not I always obey every time, but what if we were a community? Whew, I feel this one. What if we were a community that's like, you don't understand how much you're missing out by not obeying the next thing God is saying to do. Because the fullness of joy is not, doesn't exist in a vacuum with a bunch of pietists who just live, a, you know, live unto themselves. The joy of the Lord is found in obeying the next thing he's saying. And if, because I, I, did, I didn't put any references because there's like 12 references. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you'll just read John 14 through 17, it's like six times in a row. If you love me, you'll obey me. You love me, you obey me. So why does love, great commandment, and the great commission, be a disciple who disciples others? Why do they belong to each other? Because our love needs ongoing transformation. If that's clear, can you just say amen? Because I'll move on. I'm gonna unpack it a little bit more. We need each other. This is why in the fall, I'm so serious. Yes, I want you to come on Sunday. I love the larger gathering. I love this. But I'm telling you, the secret sauce, the, the, like the accelerator of our growth is when you, this thing is open, the word is open, and all of us lay our lives bare before the Lord and his word, and we say, how can this become true of us? And we pray each other for it. We believe in the grace of God forward into our ongoing discipleship and formation into Jesus. We need each other. The great commandment, love of God, self and others, the great commission, being a disciple who disciples others, they belong together. Is that a decent argument? That, that, that was it. That's the intro. Now here's the guts. Here's the guts of the talk. I have a life verse that I, owe, I know part of the ongoing joke around here is I say my favorite Bible verse and then I quote a passage. And I, at this point, if you've been under our ministry or with our ministry, I've said that probably no less than 50 times. But this is genuinely my life verse. This verse is literally my life verse. In fact, I had never, I'll never forget when God imparted it into my inner man when I was, I was going to minister in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was on an airplane and this verse, it, it, was, it was, what it was, it really was, it was like a lifeline, and it was a lifelong invitation, Chad, give yourself to this verse, becoming a reality and stewarding in your own life and in the people that you love, lead, and do life with. What's the verse? Okay. Matthew 24, 12 through 13, because of the end, this is a passage, this, the context of, is the end of the age, which we're in the end of the age. We're in the, the, the last time, so that's the context. So already we're talking about urgent times that there's a lot on the line and a lot at stake. But look how Jesus describes it. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I remember I was flying. It was just decades, 15, so many years ago. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to give my life that I'm not saying it's not optional, but that if you're gonna be around me, it's gonna be hard for you to choose a path to have a love that has grown cold. 
I, I want it to be hard. I want to provoke you. I want to provoke my wife and my kids that loving God with a whole heart is the most worthwhile endeavor to give yourself to. So look at this. Because of the increase of wickedness, the first symptom is that love for God and for others, the great commandment, grows cold. You see that? So why do we need both together? The first commandment is still the first commandment. Love me with everything. But if that's going to grow cold, then there has to be a remedy that God has made provision for called a discipling community who will say in the grace of God, you can't afford to let your love grow cold. Get back on the altar. Let's ask God to send the rain, send the fire again. The remedy to this verse is by being a disciple who refuses just to be a part of the crowd, but you're saying also, I'm gonna be a disciple who disciples others. And the principal call of a disciple who disciples is do you love God with all that you are? If not, let's talk about it. Honestly, John Wesley wrote like 50 questions. I could Google it. He was famous for all these small groups back in the 1700s. He's, he's sort of the, the father of the small group movement, and he had so much fruit. Millions and millions of lives changed. And he has all these questions about how, I mean, they're amazing. The, the way they would interrogate each other to make sure they loved God with everything. It was intense and it was thorough. It was so thorough. But I'm dead serious. Almost every question could be summarized with one question. Do you love God with everything today, brother or sister? And if we were honest, and if we answered that question honestly, how we answer would become the topic for that session of meeting together. Well, why not? What happened? What's standing in the way? What's blocking the flow? What are you pursuing more than loving him and loving neighbor itself? And that conversation with the word undergirding and infusing and bringing training and correction, that is what we wanna do together in our everyday life with other believers. It's almost like if you can't answer the first question, do you love him with everything as he's loved you? Then all the other questions are obviously gonna be answered in a certain pattern in a certain way. And I just said, the one who stands firm to the end in love for God and love for others will overcome the offense of the enemy, the offenses of our brothers. will stand in love. We will overcome and stand firm to the end. Who wants to be a church that refuses a cold, dampened, dry heart of, of diluted love who stands in the fire with the Lord and will overcome and be saved in the end. This will not happen by accident. I know in our culture, church is a luxury. If I feel like going, I'll go. But in the days that this passage is baked in, Matthew 24, when this stuff really starts hitting the fan, we are going to need brothers and sisters to go to war with us over the issue of what we love most in our lives. This is why we need each other. So the great commandment, love, discipleship, great commandment, commission, their hand in glove. Okay, we're getting this. I love it. This is so rich. We must become a community that contends for white hot first love fire for Jesus. <sighs> Just pause right now. Just ask the Lord, like, Lord, where is my love at this morning? Before I go on and, and give us more scriptures, but just where is my love this morning? Does my love need transformation? Does, does what I love, what I'm pursuing, what I'm striving and reaching for, 
Is it you or is it a thousand lesser things that are stealing my joy? God, thank you that you've called us to love you with everything and to love others as ourselves. And in that, we need a community that helps train us up and teach us and constantly call us back to loving the right thing. There's this amazing parable in Matthew 25 that illustrates the the tension of this so powerfully. I'll just read it, and literally I've got two slides of comments. Again, the context is Jesus is now given us Matthew 24, this whole 50 plus verse, or how many verses are in there? Uh, Almost 50. 51 verses, Matthew 24, about the end of the age, the hour that's coming, the hostility, the war, etc. And then he gives us three parables to prepare to overcome for the end of the age. So he gives us a story. Here's what's coming. And here's the middle heart. Love of most is going to grow cold, but stand firm and the gospel is going to go to the nations, verse 14. And then he gives us these little stories that we're meant to be swept up in to how to prepare and to overcome for the difficulties that's coming. Aren't you thankful that our king has given us preparation? He's given us a roadmap, a story to get swept up in so that when he comes, we are ready to receive our king. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. So everyone say oil and lamps. You need both. The bridegroom was long time coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, the king, come out to meet him. Then all of the virgins woke up. They trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go yourself to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went out to meet him at the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. But later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, read it with me, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. How many, you get the tension of the story. The king's coming. And in the ancient culture for weddings, you didn't know when you're, the one you were betrothed to, if you were a bride-to-be, you didn't know when bridegroom, the, 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 the groom would come. He was on, you know, working on his daddy's house, building an extra, you know, suite for you and the family that you're gonna build. That was Jewish culture. So he's out working, preparing a place for you. That's what the bridegroom would do. And you didn't know at what hour he was coming to call his bride and to consummate, to be, be, to be betrothed and to be wed. And so that's the context is that how many believe Jesus is the bridegroom king? He's coming for a bride. The church is called his bride. You and I belong to that bride. And so in, within the church, within the bride, there are those who have oil and lamps and there are those who just have lamps, but no oil. So here's a very, this has been taught by many great teachers. This is the summary as I can get. Much has been taught about the parable. Oil equals relational equity and intimacy with Jesus. 
And lamps usually represent our ministry to God and others. Does that make sense? So to have oil means you have reservoir, you have a relationship built up with Jesus. Just nod at me if you understand. That's what oil represents. It's the relational equity you build by being a person of the word, uh, faithful at church, devotion. You, you have oil because you've cultivated a relationship with Jesus. How many want oil? We all need oil or the thing don't work. But lamps, this is what many settle for, doing things for God and for others, but with no relationship. Any lampers out there who often are diminished of oil? You're busy doing, but you don't, you're not being with God, so there's not a lot to draw on. The secret sauce is to have oil in your lamps, both. Relationship and intimacy, and then ministry to God and others. But here's what I saw. I, I, the Lord gave this to me about five or, maybe five or six years ago. Yes, it is about oil and lamps, but there's something bigger here to me. This is not only a failure of devotion for the five who had no oil, it's a failure of discipleship and community. Why didn't the five who had oil call those who didn't have oil to get oil before it was too late? I've heard this passage preached and taught. I'm not saying, oh, I got something new. I just felt like it was fresh years ago and I've been sitting on it. We all talk about the, the oil, it's about devotion and intimacy. Why didn't the other five warn the five who didn't pursue that relationship with God and wholehearted love to prepare for when the bridegroom would come? See, that's the thing in church. It's so easy just to be like, oh, your lamp's burning. You're doing a lot of stuff for God. But we don't ever stop and look at each other in the eye long enough and say, but are you growing in love for God? Are you spending time with him? Because we're afraid. We don't want to offend each other. We don't want to appear as like pharisaical, like religious zealots. But the fact is that's all what the enemy has put over us. And that's why we're not growing up. Many of us, I'm not talking to you. I'm obviously talking about other churches, not our church. <laughs> because we never ask each other. We don't have courage to go, hey, is there oil in your jar? Are you just fizzling out? You're just running from thing to thing. And even in the church, you appear. Listen, the church of Sardis is what's so scary. It's Revelation 3. You have a testimony of being alive, but when then Jesus walks amongst that lampstand, he goes, but it's all a joke. I know your real condition. There's no inner flame. There's no oil. Now, here's what he says. I love you so much, and I'm giving you an opportunity to adjust. Aren't you thankful that he appears with mercy and grace? But when I read the virgin parable, I'm like, yes, it's about being devoted, have oil. But I'm also like, it's a failure of discipleship. That's because the great commandment and the great commission belong to each other. Get oil. If you don't have oil, that's why we need to disciple each other on the things that matter. If that makes sense, can you say amen? It's weighty, I know, it's deep, but it's discipleship and devotion, it's oil and lamps, it's great commandment and great commission. We can't ever separate them. And we need each other for both. To love him with everything and to serve him with everything. It's a wake-up call for the church. Look at this, and let us consider how we may, this is oil and lamps, I saw this this morning, I got so pumped. We may spur, we may spur one another on, read it with me, towards love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage all the more as we see the day approaching. Love, the oil, good deeds, the lamp burning. Do you see that? Pursue both the oil and the lamp, but not one or the other. Let's, let's pursue the wholeness, the fullness. How many know, and this is again, Mike Bickle and many others, 
Lovers will always at the end of the day work harder than just those who work without knowing the one they're working for. Can I get an amen? Amen. Lovers always outlast and outwork just workers who are here to do the hard stuff. No, if you love, if you realize how much you're loved and wanted and desired, that will fuel you to work harder than your peers around you. And it'll help you overcome all of the adversity, opposition, the opportunity for offense, because without that oil, it's gonna be really hard. And actually it's impossible to keep a lamp burning without a source outside of itself. How many know we need the oil of God's presence to keep burning in the hour in which we live and the hour which we're entering? Okay, how are we doing on time? Again, I use this app to change slides. I don't know what time it is. Can someone just tell me? 40? Oh, we're done. I have, there's more slides. I thought I did little slides. I did. I did like 30 slides. Ah, it kills me because the end is important. But I want to honor, I want to minister to each other. I want us to go, I want us to, I want us to stand before God, before the gospel, before Jesus and ask, Holy Spirit, how do I need to respond to these two things? Okay, this, this actually is applicable. So there's the parable of the sower. This is how we're going to end. Many of us, I'll just read this and we're going to pray. The, so here's the parable of the sower. Who's heard of the parable of the sower? Raise your hand. Okay, almost everybody. If you haven't, you're still a winner. It's okay. I shouldn't have done that. Isolated you. I apologize. The, the seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are those who hear and receive the word with joy, but when they hear it, they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are, read it with me, choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. When I think about this parable, because we are, we've been formed in, a, in an individualized culture, get beyond just you and your soil. Let's go to us and our soil. Again, I was reading this years ago, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a parable for community living. What if when we got together, one of the first questions besides, do you love him with everything? If not, let's talk. What if it was, man, is there any area you feel like the enemy's just stealing what God's trying to deposit? Let's close that door. That's the first soil. Amen? What if when we got together, it was, man, do you just feel like there's any area you feel like thin and a little bit flaky, that you need God to root you? That's the second soil. And instead of us just going, well, let's just all try to be like the fourth one, we realize that each of them are a succession of how we participate in a community to A, close the door to the stealer of the seed, amen? B, be those who get each other rooted, not just you know, half-hearted who are excited for a time and then fall away because it gets hard. No, get rooted, second soil. Third, this applies to all of us, those things, is there anything in your life that's choking God's word and, and, and joy for the Lord? Yes, all right, let's go after that. Let's just go, let's just bring that to, to, to Jesus and allow him to rid our hearts and our soil of our life so that we can be a people with the fourth soil who persevere and uh, uh, pr- retain and produce a crop. Do you see how this applies not just to individuals, but to us? I got a yes right here. Everyone else, do we understand? I'm trying to give us tools. Like, what do I do if I meet with other believers? Use the parable. What's being stolen right now? Let's shut that door. 
What's not rooted? Let's get solid. Let's get in the word. What's stealing your affection? What are thorns that are suffocating the Christ life in you? Man, let's yield that up to Jesus. Let's Let's become those fourth soil people. Let our church be fourth soil church. That when God speaks a word, all of us together stand in readiness to say, Lord, let your word be to us according as you have declared. Rooted and established in love. Hearts kept and cleansed from lesser loves. We contend for each other in wholeheartedness, overcoming, persevering, and bearing fruit for God. Great commandment. Love me with everything and love others in the same way. Great commission. Be a disciple who disciples others to be taught to obey everything Jesus said. Belong together. Because what we love and how we love needs ongoing transformation by the grace of God and by the truth of God. Amen? And we know that Christ is coming, and we can't afford to be those who have no oil but have little flickering lamps. We want to contend for both. Great commandment, loving, great commission, serving and discipling. They belong together. And in the tension of that, that's why we need one another. Amen. Do you love me with everything? No, let's talk. Let's pray. Let's contend. Let's believe for God to bring breakthrough. Who has one way they feel like they could respond to the grace of God today as it pertains to loving him, loving others, and allowing him to disciple us by his grace and truth? Can you just stand on your feet? I just want us to to pause and ask ourselves some of those questions together as we prepare to leave. None of us are that great at loving God all on our own. We need mentors and models to imitate. We need encouragers. We need people to lift us up, to strengthen us, to be there to hear our confession, to be there to pray for us and to contend for wholehearted love. Maybe today, if you're here in this room or you're watching online, and you would say, like my life verse, that your love has grown cold, but you want the Holy Spirit to breathe fresh wind and fire, can you just lift your hand this morning? If you, just that first question of first love, maybe your heart is just cold and you feel indifferent. And if your hand is raised, just say, Lord, set my heart on fire on your love again. I don't want a cold heart. I don't want my love to be divided and diluted. I want first love fire to burn inside of me. And God, I just pray right now that you would come by the Holy Spirit, you would begin to disciple the heart of our church in the great commandment, that we would love you with all that we have because you've loved us first. I thank you that, Lord, when we were enemies of God, Romans 5, verse 8, you died for us to make enemies your friends. And you just, we just open our hearts as a church to the love of God revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And maybe today you're like, Chad, I love God, but I know there's areas of my heart that need discipling. Just put your hand on your heart and just say, Holy Spirit, would you bring cleansing? Would you bring clarity? Would you bring correction to any area that's stealing my affection for Jesus? Just say this prayer. Just say, I surrender to your leadership and to your love. And then my last prayer, that you would just pray about this fall of joining a Jesus community, a little community group that does what we just said, pursues the great commandment and the great commission 
in childlike dependent love and service. Father, I pray that you would give our church courage to take a step into deeper community. None of us are that good at it. I don't even feel good at it 85% of the time, but I know I need brothers and sisters to coach me, to encourage me, and to be a question asker and a prayer warrior for my fullness and for theirs. So Lord, right now, would you mark our hearts? Would you provoke us to believe that, that discipling community is for all of us? I pray that you would defeat every lie of the enemy, that, that we should be ashamed, we should be lonely and isolated. How many wanna see that lie broken off of our church in any way, shape, or form? Just say amen. Lord, I pray that you would unite us, you would join us together with Jesus at the center as a community that pursues all that you have for us, Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name. We all said amen and amen.